Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 to 7. Walk in love, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us. An offering, a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality and any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among the saints. There must be no filthiness, silly talk, or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. For this you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance of the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them. Father, help us to hear your words. Father, though this is a negative, and yet, Father, we understand that even in the negative, it is God-breathed, it is holy, and it is right. So, Father, let us check our hearts. Let us check our minds. Let us check our actions that, Father, we may walk in love knowing that we are imitators of God as precious, beloved children walking worthy. We love you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, we looked at the plea in 1 and the first part of 2. But then we looked at the pattern, who is Jesus Christ, in the second part of verse 2. All right, and we saw in that all together that we are to walk in love. Okay, now, we are to walk in the love that is Christ. All right, and we saw that that is forgiving love. It is an unconditional love, and it is a self-sacrificing love. And that is His love. That is, uh, we were talking about it in Sunday school, that holy love. It is, uh, it is different than human love. And so I know and you know, either by Scripture and or by our society and experience, that whatever God establishes, Satan will counterfeit. Okay? Please remember, the world lays in his lap. So it's going to come out of the world system. All right, if you look at verses 3 and 4, but immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as proper among the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather giving thanks. Okay, that first word you see there, this New American Standard translation says immorality. Some of your... Text may say fornication. Look down at verse 6. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God, we were talking about that this morning, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. All right? 
So these are objects of God's wrath. Where God establishes true love. And it should be essential in the body of Christ. The world comes along and establishes phony, counterfeit. Now, it's, it's fascinating to me. Now, I came through the generation of free love, and it's just a physical something or other. What I've learned is, in my years in my study of history and my own life's experience, the world wants to live in love. The world wants love bad. Really bad, they want it. The only thing they want more is money. This place that we live in, planet Earth, goes after this with, uh, shall I say, gusto. The letter I read of the lady realized that she was another unofficial wife. See, that's Islam. You can have official wife. You can have unofficial wife. In, in the time of the writing of this letter, I know that the Roman and Greek culture had combined. And it was an honor. You had a wife, what you and I would call today a trophy bride. And that the mindset that was on this is this was the broodmare. I want my children from this one. But the man was allowed to have multiple mistresses. And the more that they had, the more successful they were. So that's the culture that this is going on in. Okay? You look at the world today, and the world loves loving. Right? The world loves being loved. The world loves making love. And we consider it the ultimate is love. The greatest experience there is, is to be in love. If you ever watch young people when they're thinking about crossing that bridge and their eyes are fluttering and they've got the little palpitations in their hearts and they flutter, flutter, flutter. Here we go. Whoop, whoop, whoop. Okay. But that love is a, a sensitivity to the extremes of emotion. Okay. I've seen it. I've experienced it. If I, what I mean by that, it's the extremes of emotions. When you're in love, you're never be as happy than when you're in love. But it doesn't matter what happens. You just got that goofy grin on your face. But never can you be as sad as when you are in love. And it might be uh, the relationship is spurned. Or it might be the loss of a loved one. So that emotion is the gambits from one side of pure yee to how do I go on? Okay? So when I think about what I see in the world as love, it is an extreme emotion. All right? Some have said, that love is the ultimate human experience. I don't agree with that. 
but I understand why they say it. Because I look around and I see a world that continues to sell it. This is the ultimate. We sell it in songs. We sell it in books. We sell it in movies. We sell it in TV shows. And the world is constantly, constantly seeking it. And love in this world is a fantasy. It's not real. Love you. It's a fantasy. What you see out there, you go turn on. I, I, I grew up with a movie. Oh, no, I forgot the name of it. It had that saying in it that uh, love never has to say you're sorry. Love story. Yeah. And you watched it and it was just. It's where you took a girl for a date. Trust me. Multiple times. No. (laughs) I've probably seen that movie more times with more different people than any movie ever. But anyway. You look at it and at the end of it, the girl dies. And you think, wow. (laughs) You signed me up for that. That is our society. The world continues to chase this. And strangely, they base their concept on what the love does for me. Okay? Brothers and sisters, that's the counterfeit. That's the counterfeit. It is self-seeking. I have met with numerous... Well, not really. I haven't done that many weddings. But the weddings that I've done, I always speak, sit down and I speak with them. And I explain to them, do you understand two blind, naked and depraved people are going to be one? What? You know what that means? Here comes the war. Okay. And I, and listen, I'm not saying it to hurt people's feelings. I'm just sitting there going, the reality of this is not. What you think it is. How many people do you know today have been married 50, 70 years? See what I mean? Why? And you ask any of them, it was a job. And if they're really nice, they say, it was an adventure. Which means that it was a hard job. The world chases this fantasy seeking a dream Perfect love. My soulmate. My one heart. Ugh. What gobbledygook is that? I fell in love at first sight. You know what that is? Lust. <laughs> I have spoken to men and women who are preparing to marry. And they said, well, what would you suggest? And I said, men... Look at the wife's mother. Women, look at the husband's father. Because that's what you get. Now, most people jump to, oh, but she's a little short, fat woman. That's not what I'm going by. What I'm going by, what is the spiritual condition of the mother for the daughter? What is the spiritual condition of the father for the son? Because that's what you're going to get. And or that's what you're going to have to fight through. Plus whatever else society sets before you. See the fantasy? See the fantasy? 
You know, I've never understood why women will go buy that much money for a dress that they're going to wear one time and hang in a closet and see how many mice and moths can eat holes in it. Right? I mean, you just sit there and you go, hmm, hmm, that don't make sense to me. But it's, this is this great time. See, there's that fantasy. Now listen, I'm not against it. That's not what I'm trying to say. I'm a realist. I know what this book says. I know what history says. And I know what my society says. And in my realistic view of it, it's a fantasy. It's a fantasy. Why is it everybody struggles in the first five years? And then I'll tell them, no, it's in the first 30. Don't you know nothing? See, the world chases this. They believe that out of this will be a perfect fulfillment. You know what? I look at it at times, and I see this, the batting of the eyes, and looking at each other, and taking the special pictures. And I want to, in my loving heart, say, you might as well go chase the fountain of youth. Because it's going to be a job. Today's people will give themselves to one for a while. And what I've seen on a regular basis, they will suck them bone dry and go find another. Love tends to be a relationship of taking. That is not what the Bible teaches. The world's fantasy is that I love you for what I can get. I've had multiple different people who have been through multiple marriages, some through death, some through divorce. And they tell me, and it's a repeated theme. The first time I marry is for love. The second time I marry is for convenience. But I bet you won't go tell your spouse that, will you? If you do, we'll all know because you'll have the big shiner thing on your head. God says love is what you give. And the world's love is conditional. If you think about it, the world's love is the exact opposite of God's. How many times I've seen, give me what I want and I will love you. And when you stop, then it's over. I can't even begin to tell you. That's why I don't do a lot of marriages. Because when people, when I do their marriages, do you understand? I'm going to hold you accountable. Now, sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. But I'm going to hold you accountable. Now, I'm not going to get all a bunch of church leaders come sit at your house until you all come back. But, but I am going to hold you accountable. I have done it. I have gone to people's houses. We had a lady and she moved in with this guy because he was a spiritual something or other. He's a kook. And so I talked to some people in the church. I raised for a place for her to go. And I went down to the guy's house, banged on the door. She was like, oh. And I took her out of there and placed her in a home. And I told him, you're a wolf messing with one of God's sheep. 
You know what? He, within two years, he died of cancer. Throat, throat cancer, I believe it was. Because I remember her calling me and told me that he died. Okay? But man's love is not forgiving. It doesn't give up. If you mess up, I'm gone. I'm, that's it. So you heard the joke. The guy got married, took his wife out, and was going to go on their honeymoon, had a buggy out there with a horse. They get in the buggy, they take off, and the horse starts bucking. He gets out of the buggy and shanks and beats on it with a rod and all the rest of it. That's one. Go down a little farther. Horse starts to bucking again and takes out a whip. Bam, 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 bam. That's two. Go down a little farther. The horse starts bucking. Gets out of the buggy, pulls out a gun and shoots it. Bang! That's three. The newly brides looked at him and says, Why did you do that? That's one. Okay? Secondly, the world's love is conditional. I want the right response. When it's wrong, it's not what you want. You're gone. I've heard people. I heard a pastor in California, if I told you his name, he's dead. But I was listening to him on the radio. I was in California. And he had a call-in show. And this lady was saying that she needs to divorce her husband. And he told her, he says, you know what? All that means is that you got the wrong one. So go ahead and divorce him. And you'll be fine. And then just pay attention to the next one because God will try to bring you the right one. And you're like, well, no wonder his church is so big. Okay? Why? Well, it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. He snores, she snores. Whatever. Thirdly, the world's love is self-centered. It is definitely not self-sacrificing. Just like the joke. That's one. Okay? The love that I see inevitably feeds on its own needs. Okay? It is uh, the very opposite of what God teaches. Uh, Let me give you a biblical better than a joke. How's that? Matthew's Gospel, chapter 18. Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. You've, you've heard this many times. You know of this text, I'm sure. Peter came to him. Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Peter, being the deep theologian he was, up to seven times. Wow. So they do something against me seven times. Then the eighth time, it's hasta la vista, baby. Okay? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Well, does that mean I'm supposed to forgive him 990 times? That's not what Jesus is saying. Watch what he does. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven, verse 23, kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. Okay? 
when he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Okay, 10,000 talents would be like somebody, you owing the national debt. Okay, I mean, that it is a number. It's like somebody said, you owe me a gazillion dollars. All right? But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold, along with his wife and children, and all that they had, and repay, that repayment to be made. So the slave, who owed the national debt, fell on the ground, prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me. I will repay you for everything. Okay, that is one of the stupidest statements that you can make. But he humbled himself in front of the, this master. Okay. Remember what he compared this to? The kingdom of heaven. You know what that is right there? People working themselves into heaven might as well pay off the national debt. All right? Then it goes on. Verse 27. And the Lord of the slave felt compassion and released him and forgave his debt. See what God does? But that slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Okay, that's basically uh, three months' pay. All right? He seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. So his fellow slave fell to the ground and begged and pleaded with him, saying, Have patience with me. I will repay you. But he was unwilling, and he went and he threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. Now, how do you pay back a debt from prison? Because I bet you at this time they weren't making license plates. All right? So when his fellow slaves saw that what had happened, they were deeply grieved, and they came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. All right? God got the message that this person who could not pay a debt was charging a debt to others, and it must be paid, or I will incarcerate you. Summoning him, his Lord, verse 32, said, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not also have mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I have mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until he would repay all that was owed. Okay, now verse 35. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Okay, see the difference between man's love, man's forgiveness, and God's? See, God forgives the sins of the ungodly. Did you know that? Those who don't respond 
Forgiveness is there. Even those who think they can work it out themselves. This man was never a believer because he never loved. And love is a characteristic of a believer. His actions was he didn't accept the forgiveness of God. Okay, now here's what I'm trying to, I want you to get at. Ask yourself a question. It's easy to sit there and think, okay, what has God forgiven me of? All right? And we all go back in our memory banks. Let me ask you this. What is God forgiven you of? Okay? I mean, we can look in the past and say, I'm glad He forgave me. Wait till you wake up in the morning. Or wait until you get into the aisleway at Safeway. I was in the aisleway at Safeway this week. And I only had to go like five feet to get me a little box of cup of noodles. And I'm looking there and it's one way. So Mr. Terry and his Einstein says, I am not walking to the back of the store so I can come back down this way. So I walked down there and grabbed my noodles. There was a lady there look, preparing for brain surgery. I mean, she had the glasses on, the mask on, the gloves on. And I'm sitting there going, oh, man, you know, are you, were you in the toxic aisle? And she jumped all over me. I will not tell you what my response was, because I'm not sure it would bring glory to the king. But I was, like, stunned. I mean, it wasn't, I don't know, whatever. It wasn't like I was stealing her toilet paper. Okay, but you you see that I thought, wow, man, that's crazy. But that's the way the world is. That's a typical world perspective. Their love has no forgiveness. Lord told him, he confronted this guy and says, hey, you're not in my family. You're not in my kingdom. You'll be tortured. There is no love in you So the point is, the world is not forgiving. If you love, you are forgiving. And the world bases its response on a condition. Back to verses 3 and 4 in Ephesians. God's love. Somebody stole my Ephesians. God's love. The love of his beloved children. Remember that? Verse 2. Actually, verse 1. Remember that? No. That Satan will counterfeit it. He'll mold it. He'll twist it. Satan sells this to the world and the world absorbs it. All right? Amazingly to me, Christians fall into the trap. When you have a pastor of a huge mega church with Sunday morning TV nationwide, tell everybody that, well, if you want a divorce, go go ahead because it's obviously you married the wrong one. Tell me it's not in the church. It's in the church. I've heard it. I've heard things taught in the church that are disgusting. I mean, I heard things taught in the church that when I was lost and crazy as a loon, I wouldn't have openly admitted to. 
I look at the church. Look at the church today. And it looks a lot like the world, doesn't it? Think about it. Here in Castle Rock, somebody hurts your feelings. Okay? You leave, you get your underwear and a twist, and I'm out of here, and I'll go somewhere else. And you know what you do? There's 54, I think. There might be 53 now. Churches in Castle Rock. You can go to a different church every Sunday for over a year. All right? Didn't used to be that way. It used to be there was a church. And if you had an issue with somebody in that church, that was the church. That was all you had. And so you sat down and you worked it out. But it was forgiving. But it was also self-sacrificing. You know, I've had people accuse me of things, and I realized that in that moment, their attitude and actions, I could not correct it. So I don't say anything. And eventually they come back around. Sometimes. You know, I can't even begin to count the number of people who got mad at me. Okay? And they're unforgiving. Because if, if you're forgiving, you're willing to sit down and discuss it. But I look at the church. And, and it goes back to the thing that I've been trying to tell everybody. The church lacks theology. And when that's missing, then you have humanology. And if you look at churches today, what do you have? Remember the guy up in Illinois? Oh, I guess I can't remember his name. Willow Creek Church. Okay? Said that Bono of U2, who was one of the greatest Christians he had ever been around, Bono is one of the most foul-mouthed people that I've ever run into. And I'm not talking, oh, poopy. And I'm sitting there going, how can you be a Christian and that's coming out of you? And we'll deal with that in a few. Filthy speech. It's a lack of theology. The world's love. If I look at back at this text in verse 3. Immorality, any impurity, greed. The world's love should not be named in the church. Okay, that word you see there, immorality, the noun shows up 35 times in the New Testament. The verb shows up more. So if it shows up more, the action of and the noun of, what you're telling me is there was a problem. Okay? What about today? The word is porneos, and it literally means sex sin. Okay, now listen, any kind. I just remember in Corinth, Plato said he loved Corinth because there were bare-chested women spearing pigs and climbing poles. I'm not sure how fascinating for me that would be, but... I mean, I guess if you've seen it once, you're like, well, there's something I've never seen. Let me contrast porneos. This, this will help you. Okay? Uh, there's a word. Enkrateia. Enkrateia. And the word in your Bible is translated self-controlled, disciplined, enkrateia. Okay? And it is the power 
of a of control a person has over self. Okay? Self-control. Alright? Socrates said that Encratea was one of the chief virtues. Alright? Self-discipline, self-control. Ten times in the New Testament the word is used. And it's uh, some of your older translations may say temperance. Okay? That's Encratea. It's self-control. The Greeks use this secular Greeks use this as sexual self-control in Kertaya. The ability uh, from what the Waste Dictionary is the ability to transcend one's passion. Okay? So let me show you what it looks like. In Acts chapter 24... Verse 25. Paul is in jail. (laughs) Paul just stayed in jail sometimes. Okay? If he wasn't in jail, he was on his way to the next one. Okay? Anyway, he's before Felix. And beginning, I'll I'll pick it up in verse 20, 20. Chapter 24, verse 24. Some days later, Felix arrived with Drusilla, his wife, who was a Jewess. And sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ. Okay, now he had married Drusilla in an adulterous fashion. All right? So Paul's in front of Felix now, in verse 25, and he was discussing righteousness in Kratea. Okay, what's the implication with in Kratea? Sexual self-control. And the judgment to come. Okay? You have a very personal message with a man who lacks sexual self-control. What happened? Felix was frightened and said, go away from the presence. Why? He understood what he was saying. Listen, Felix has the ability of life and death. Remember Herod and John the Baptist? Righteousness was opposed to the, self, the lack of self-control. And it frightened Felix. Paul was giving... He had had these conversations. If you go through the whole context, these conversations of the gospel and the resurrection and all the rest of that. That's not what that was. This was an in-your-face He was saying, Felix, you are a living illustration of God's righteousness violated. Whoop, whoop. The failure of sexual self-control. Some of you have been with me for a while. Remember me teaching on some of this. First Corinthians, remember First Corinthians? What a wonderful bunch of people. First Corinthians... Chapter 7 deals with marriage, okay? But I say to you, verse 8, 1 Corinthians 7, I say to the unmarried and to the widows, that it is good for them to remain as I am. Verse 9, look what it says. But if they do not have encrateas, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. 
Okay, now what he's talking about here is there's a spiritual gift of celibacy. It's funny, I never hear anybody chasing that one. You know, they, they want all these other ones, but I want the gift of singleness. Are you out of your mind? <laughs> okay. Self-control. Go ahead and marry so you don't, that passion don't take you over. Sexual self-control. If you don't have it, get married. If it's a problem, get married. Alright? Self-control. Okay? Inkrateia. Self-control. The Greeks mindset, it was sexual self-control. Now, the Greek had an opposite word for inkrateia. You know what it is? Porneia. It's the opposite. You know, okay, so if I contrast porneia to inkrateia, it's a lack of sexual self-control. It's a behavior that is out of control. It is undisciplined. It is beyond the limits that God has set. Now then, I want you to understand something. Porneia is all sex sin. All right? The lack of sexual self-control. If you add grofe to porneia, you get the word pornography, which means to write about sexual sin. Interesting, don't you think? There is no place for this in our life. Not only is there no place, it shouldn't be named. Go to 1 Corinthians 6. It's an interesting. What Sexual immorality was rampant in Corinth. But if you look at the city and the culture of the city, it's kind of like, well, duh. All right. Paul, in verse 12, Paul makes the statement, All things are lawful to me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by any. Okay? That's the verse I use when people ask me about smoking and things like that. What's your master? Does it master you? I mean, you can just quit? It won't master you? Okay. But the response was this. Food is for the stomach, and stomach is for the food. But God will do away with both of them. Okay? Yet the body is not for immorality, porneia, but for the Lord. And the Lord is the body. So what they say, I hate to quote this, but I'm going to. Hugh Hefner used to make millions on the fact that this is just a natural act. It's no different than eating. Okay? Do you not know, verse 15, that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members? This translation says prostitute. May it never be. The word is harlot. And it is any sexual sin outside of marriage. So it's not like eating. 
Okay, it's a spiritual thing. I try to get people to understand that there's a spiritual basis to sex that we don't comprehend. And once you get that wrapped up, understand that outside of marriage, you are taking Christ to a harlot. See, sex is not a biological act. Paul says it's not. Your body is a member of Christ. Would you take Christ and join him to a harlot? To the Greeks, harlot was anyone that was outside outside of marriage. Chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, see, they, these guys had some problems. He says, you don't have any mourning about this. This is not grieving you. This is not causing you pain in the heart. And not only that, you're puffed up about it. Boy, all things are permissible. I'm free in Christ. I remember growing up when it was called free love. Okay, And everybody was talking about it. You know, love the one you're with. All right. You know what I learned by experience and watching? The people who were talking about that thought it was awesome as long as the one they were with wasn't doing it. And I found that fascinating. You say free love. But don't take my lady. Don't take my man. And you sit there and you go, wait a minute. <laughs> Something's not working here. Not only that, Paul says, put them out of the church. Let Satan deal with the destruction of their flesh. Do you see what I mean? We have looked at sexual immorality in the church today nonchalant. It's not really that big a deal. Paul says, set them outside so that Satan can destroy the flesh. Yowzer. Why? Because when they do that, they're taking Christ and joining him to a harlot. It goes on and says, I don't even want you to have company with them. I don't want you to eat with them. I don't even want you to call them brother if they call you brother. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 5 that it mars the church. I can look at it and say, that is definitely not walking worthy. All right? Second Peter, Peter, Second Peter chapter two, Peter says this action is scabs and filth spots on the assembly. How do you like that? Woo. Listen, you gotta understand this. Satan will always introduce a counterfeit, and he loves sticking it in the church. Now listen, I know we've been through some things. I know I've been through it. I know that others have been through it. And But here's the deal. You're forgiven. Don't repeat it. Okay? And if you struggle with it, get married. It isn't that hard. Yeah, right. 
I've had people who show up here saying, you got any single women? <laughs> what? Well, yeah, I would like to have a godly woman. But you're not a godly man. Well, that's all right. Well, no, it ain't. These are things I want us to think about because when I think about God's love, remember, His love is forgiving, it is unconditional, and it is sacrificial. Pornea is not. Pornea is out of control. Encratea is in control. And I'll deal with the rest of these words. We'll go through some more of them at a time. But I wanted us to look at immorality because it is all around us and it is promoted as love. I love you so much. Okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for giving it to us. But Father, thank you for warning us of the father of lies will counterfeit whatever you step forward with. Father, um, we are all guilty in one way or another of porneia, whether in thought or in deed. But your forgiveness is your love. It is um, unconditional. It is sacrificing. Your forgiveness, yes, is in the past, but it's also in the present, in the future. We love you, Lord. I thank you for what you have done. I thank you for what you will do. And I praise you for those who walk worthy. And I pray that Castle Rock Baptist Church will walk in love. To you, my King, my Lord.